Greetings all. Welcome back to another episode of the Captimizer podcast. It's another good one. You know, I say that every week, but you know, every week it's true. <laughs> I I guess if I ever get on here and say, yeah, you know what, this this podcast, this episode is going to be okay. I don't think anyone, <laughs> I, I might lose a few people right off the bat, but Scott Medlin, thank you for being here. Oh, I'm excited to be here, Patrick, really am. So Scott is a Marine Corps veteran, police officer veteran, author, uh, and a bit of a uh, fitness and wellness renaissance man, which I really appreciate. And that's kind of what we want to dig into today. But uh, maybe take a couple minutes and introduce yourself to the Captimizer audience. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just like you said, a Marine Corps and law enforcement veteran. I, I was in the Marines from 2001 to 2007. I was actually in the reserves but uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom kicked off and I got activated twice. So I got pulled out of college twice to go uh, serve uh, two deployments. Well, thank uh, the you for the second your one. In yeah, two deployments. So the second one in particular, though, that was my first experience with almost losing my life. And uh, when I got home for, in 2005, I, I wasn't doing very well. I mean, I thought I was, but I, and I thought everyone else was the problem. <laughs> and the way people were seeing things that, are, and, and, you know, you can't relate and how dare you say I'm moody and stuff like that. A year after getting home, <clears throat> I'm still reliving experiences from Iraq. And I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't know anything about post-traumatic stress or anything. And then my dad said, Hey, I'm losing you. I'm losing you and your brother because my brother was there as, at the same time I was. And, uh, same unit or were you guys? Yeah. Uh, same exact unit. Wow. So he said, I'm losing both of you. And that was a wake up call. So we got the help we needed. Thank goodness. But that really was a, a lifelong lesson right there. When you're exposed to things that the human mind is not innately wired to see and you're bothered by it, you need to attack it before it starts leading to a lot of bad things. Like it was bad relationships and my family and stuff like that for me. But anyway, eventually got out of the Marines and went into law enforcement to which I mean, that was a dream come true. Honestly, I, since my sophomore year in high school, I had just had this burning desire to work in law enforcement. And I was very excited on day one to get sworn in, just like every other officer is. But little did I know or could, could have ever predicted, I battled an addiction, more post-traumatic stress and depression at one point. Never thought it would happen to me. And so when I learned in 2020 that, uh, 2019 had been such a deadly year for law enforcement in regards to suicide. I said, Oh my gosh, you mean I'm not the only, I felt like, Oh my gosh, I'm not the only one struggling here. And I thought, yeah. well, I can take what I've learned through this journey and then might as well just put it out there and help in hopes of helping other officers. And I've been on that mission since. And I, I only left law enforcement because it wasn't working out for my family anymore. I, I miss it a lot. Uh, and to those who are listening to this, who are still in law enforcement, please remember you are valued. I mean, there's going to be people calling 911 and you need to show up and be your best self. And that's what I try to do is work with law enforcement to help them not lose focus and to have a strong thriving mindset that I had to learn, particularly the last four years in my career. And uh, so that's, that's what I'm doing now. Well, we really appreciate that. You know, your story is really powerful and, you know, I'd like to say it's uncommon. Um, but we know that that's not the truth, right? I mean, your yeah. story is very common. Yep. And and I'm not even talking for, you know, people that have experienced combat stress like you have. 
uh, and many police officers, uh, just the the distress of policing, you know, we're hitting all of the same neural pathways, all the physiological mechanisms are, are really the same. So um, that's why your book, you know, after we chatted the first time, I got I got a copy of your book. I'm going to throw it up here right now. This is one of them. You've written two, but this one, the 101 health tips for police officers. We'll dig into that in a little bit. But I, as I was reading through this, I was like, yep, 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 yep. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, you nailed it. So great job. And one of the things I really like about it, too, is it's um, and you talk about that in the book where like, look, I'm not this is I want to make this easy to read. I want it to relate to you know, to to the officers work in the street. So it's not um, it's not like a lot of the other books that I've read that are are that are very um, academically oriented that can you know, they can put you to sleep. <laughs> yes. Even even when you're even when you're alert and awake, you know, like you wake up an hour later, like what happened? Kind of like being in a squad car on a midnight shift, right? And we, and we can talk a little bit about that. Um, so, so where so where are you from? I'm from North Carolina, born and raised in North Carolina, and I worked in my hometown as a police officer for uh, right around 12, 13 years. And then for the last few part of my career, I worked uh, part time in law enforcement. But yeah, North North Carolina. Uh, I live in Florida now, though. And gosh, I, I uh, have enjoyed it very much. <laughs> so Blue Devil or Tar Heel? Or oh, Tar Heel, 100 percent, because my parents went to the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. So, yeah, Tar Heels, 100 <laughs> percent. You know, when I was uh, when I was in the Air Force, I was stationed in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. One of my roommates was from High Point, North Carolina. OK, cool. He was he was a dookie, you know. I'm a boilermaker, um, you know. It, it led to a lot of uh, interesting conversations, but yeah, that was before I got. You know, I grew up in West Lafayette, which is where Purdue University is, and right. Eventually, you know, I went into the service, came out, um, and then went to Purdue. Um, one of my sisters went to IU, and so we have a nice family rivalry in Indiana and. I did root for the Hoosiers back before I became a Boilermaker. Only only when it was convenient, though. <laughs> only when <laughs> I was a Hoosier bandwagon fan. Uh, but not, you know, after I got to Purdue and graduated, you know, you can't, you're not even allowed to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, so I like to bring up rivalries. No, I understand. And when, and when people, when people ask me, you know, Blue Devil or Tar Heel, I say Tar Heel because my parents went there, but I went to the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. And they used to not have a football team for the longest time. They only started having football back in 2013. So now I really have to be true to the school and say I'm a 49er fan when it comes down to it. But, you know, when someone says Blue Devil or Tar Heels, oh, Tar Heels, 100%. Hey, they've run, and they've <laughs> run some good squads out there last couple of years. Yeah. Not bad. Not bad at all. Anyway, I digress. I don't want to take us too off. So you joined the reserve, the Marine Corps Reserves. Was that like right out of high school? Were you doing that to go through college or is, uh, what, what did that look like for you? Yeah, the whole plan was to, uh, I went to Paris Island for boot camp just a week after graduating high school. So people went on senior week to vacation beaches. <laughs> I went senior week to Paris Island, June, July, and August at Paris Island. My gosh, I'll never forget well, it. Well, that is, there is a beach there. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> you know, I didn't see it, but anyway, <laughs> uh, but the, the, the goal at that time was going to reserves, get get through college and then become a commissioned officer so i actually did the first six weeks of the platoon leadership training that the marine corps officers to commissioned officers and um 
I went through that. But the deployments just totally threw everything off. And I don't mean that in a bad way looking back. Uh, I, I I learned a lot. The war is awful. Uh, but uh, a lot of Marines and I realize just how precious life is. And, and uh, for those of us who made it back, we do what we can to honor the fallen and live the best life we, we can. And, and that also means tackling the mental health challenges that come with it. Uh, so that, that was, that was my Marine Corps adventure right there. Well, you know, that's the old saying, right? Life is what happy life is what happens while you're busy making other plans. Exactly. And, uh, yeah. And you, know, you just, you know, sometimes you just, you just got to roll with it. And of course, you know, our, our country certainly uh, appreciates uh, your sacrifice and the sacrifice of all your your uh, fellow Marines, yeah. So 2003, you wanted you, you did uh, your first uh, your first deployment, and that was that was to Iraq, or it, it was. We were a lot of us were getting there January February of 2003, and then the invasion happened in March 2003. So it was all part of the invasion, and then a lot. Of, I think every single Marine after the initial invasion went home for the most part. Uh, a lot of Marines went home. And we thought the army would come in and occupy and uh, make the transition as smooth as possible. I'm speaking very loosely here, but uh, a lot of us didn't anticipate going back. And then whenever we heard the Marine Corps units were going back, I mean, I knew it was only a matter of time. And the company commander at one of our reserve trainings said, uh, I haven't, I'm not going to volunteer us, but we haven't been received any orders yet. And all of us, I was a radio operator. So all of us radio operators are looking around at each other like, we're going back. There's just no way around it. We're going back. Sure enough, year and a half later, uh, we go back. What was So what was it like between the first deployment and the second deployment? Because I, I have a lot of friends that were there as well, um, you know, in, in different time frames, um, you know, and really kind of talk about some of the stark differences in, in, in the deployments and really even just like, and like what a year would like the difference a year made. Um, oh yeah. Kind of, kind of crazy looking back at it. Uh, yeah, it really was. It really was. I mean, the invasion, no problem for the most part. I mean, yes, sadly there were Marines and soldiers and uh, uh, other U S service members killed and contractors killed and it was horrible. Uh, but overall the mission was just, it, it, they, it's not like, it's not like the Iraqi army put up much of a fight in the grand scheme of things. But then, gosh, that rise of insurgency and just not knowing who the enemy was at that point, it was it was horrific. And the, then the roadside bombs, that was a tactic that couldn't ever really get on top of uh, strategy wise. Like they were out there it, it, following the years after the invasion. Uh, when I went back in 05, it was just a heck of a lot more dangerous than what it was prior to the invasion and uh, or, or what it was during the invasion in 2003. And I was amazed at how much more dangerous it was. Yeah. It, obviously we didn't, I wasn't really planning on talking about this, but while, we, while we're on the subject and we can move on, because I think there are a lot of, a lot of things that you can relate specifically to policing as well. Like what is, um, what happens in communities when you don't really have a clear mission and what you're trying to accomplish or when your community stakeholders are not aligned with you and what you need to get done, right? It allows the opportunity for, um, you know, your your ne'er do wells, as a friend of mine would call them, to cause problems and and to stir up and to stir up trouble. And you know, you know, sadly, I think we're seeing that 
in a lot of American cities right now is that there's there's just there's a, a lack of of mission alignment and focus, and nobody can re really agree on what policing really is or should be, and, and what they want. But for that matter, yeah. and and in the end, you know who suffers for that? It's it's the soldiers on the battlefield. It's the officers out on the street because you know there is too much ambiguity, and that's that's a difficult thing to navigate when you're. When you're operating in a you know in a VUCA environment, right? That volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous, you know, and then throw uh, incredibly dangerous on top of that. Yeah, you bring up all very good points, and it it's interesting how in Iraq, like we didn't have enough troops to keep certain areas covered, and it, they would just essentially the the law and order in those towns would, would just fall apart. Insurgency would come to arise, and it would be awful. It's the same thing now in some of the cities where they can't get police recruits and crimes just going up because there's not enough officers. And now you're at a point where officers won't respond to certain crimes. I didn't, I didn't ever think we'd get to a place like this. It's, it's concerning for sure. Yeah. It, you know, I tell people go back and if, if you don't think policing is good in America today, go back and watch the movie, uh, the gangs in New York, right? There is a, there is a perfect example of kind of the, the reason why, Policing, you know, you know, the, these Pelian principle models have been so effective over such a long period of time in that you have if you don't have members of the public that you designate the, the responsibilities of policing, then someone's going to do it for you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure. that's, that's just that's just human nature. I mean, uh, you know, there, there are just some actors that will always capitalize on chaos. They'll take advantage of it. They'll leverage power. They'll leverage authority, uh, and yep. they'll and they'll do it any way they can. So, um, yeah, that that does concern me as well. Uh, it concerns me uh, greatly, quite frankly, um, because the problem, unfortunately, is I, I'd like to say there's a little bit of hope on the horizon, but um, th there's the numbers of people coming into the profession, uh, just aren't there. Yeah, and that's why I tried my best to really go all out to encourage those who are still on the job just. It is possible to show up for you, so you can show up that much better for others. Uh, if you if you are showing up, might as well focus on what you can control, which is ultimately your mindset, starting with that, and then take care of yourself so you're that more robust and ready for the challenges that are going to happen, whether it be stress or the, the trauma you see or, or a fight for your life, whatever it is, just keep working on you. And if you're there, there's still meaning behind it, and there can be opportunities even in times when you think there is not. So policing in the best of circumstances is still very dangerous, very volatile, very unpredictable. Yep. Um, we see it every day. Just watched, uh, you know, several, you know, just a couple more, couple more videos this week, you know, officers getting assaulted. Um, and when you're, when you're a young officer, probably, and when you're a young serviceman or woman, you, you, think that hey you know what i got this this is all easy you know I, i'm i'm here uh this is what i've been preparing for this is what i want to do and then and then you know after that kind of newness wears off and the reality of of your situation sets in if you don't have good structure and and a plan in place then like what i like what i tell my kids sometimes right you're going to be a ship in the ocean uh with the sail up and no rudder 
<laughs> and you're going wherever the wind takes you. That could be a beautiful tropical island. Uh, it could be some big craggly, you know, sharp rocks and coral reefs. And, you know, <laughs> you might up, uh, you know, you might up and uh, fish food. Yeah, sure. So having a plan to steer the ship is, is, uh, is a good idea. But then, you know, agencies also have a responsibility too for providing these types of services, these types of education. And the old model was, you know what, um, there's all, there's always, there's 10 people waiting for your position. So, you know what, if it doesn't work out for you, um, we'll, you move, we'll move on to the next person. And, and now we're finding that, you know, really people would think this is a new phenomenon, like it just started in 2020, but I've been trying to remind yeah. people like yeah, this has been, you know, more than a decade in the making and we've seen the trends and, and just some of these more prolific events have just accelerated uh, the, the, you know, this, this trend, you know, first Ferguson and you have, you know, then you have, you know, Minneapolis, Breonna Taylor, you know, these things, they're, they're all compiling, but I say all this to, you know, to kind of set up the, you know, to the, maybe the value in, in why your story is in particular is so important because um, you're, you're in this position where you've, you've got a servant's heart. You really, you know, you've positioned yourself well, you're chasing a dream and you've gone off, you served your country, you're coming back, you're serving your community. And now like, bam, uh, the, the, you know, I'm, I'm starting to go off the rails, but I don't recognize really that I'm going off the rail. The, 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 the problem isn't me. It's, it's the people around me. So maybe describe a little bit that process and, and, you know, your dad getting to the point where he's saying, Hey, I'm losing my sons because I, you know, I can't imagine that that, that would have to, you know, that would, you know, that would really hit home. Um, and, and maybe you're probably fortunate that, you know, someone like your father or someone that you really respect and you trust is direct with you and says that to you. It was, it was said at the right time because honestly the family was falling apart. And I mean, I, I thought it was everybody else's problem, just like I had said, but there was a lot of irritability, uh, living by the phrase, hope for the best, expect the worst, constantly on guard. So hypervigilance, but little did I, you know, I thought, oh, I'm aware I'm ready. I didn't know it was a sign of just unhealthy, hypervigilant and hyperarousal. I mean, there's, there's that analogy of the speedometer on a car you know you keep it keep the the car in the red zone it's it's not built to last that speed for for that long I mean, it's the same with the human human being uh, right. but I, I was doing my best to just I, I was it was always adrenaline and uh and yeah he said that and then all throughout my police career there were times uh, nightmares irritability and then lack of sleep which ended up having its own health problems come out of it but there were still times when I thought I'm fine. It's just part of it and, and, and not good at all. That's why, that's why I preach like be aware and be honest with yourself. Because if you say to yourself, well, I'm, I'm sad. Well, you can go into a doctor's office and they're not going to say, uh, Oh, you're sad. Here's some happy pills. I mean, they're going to ask if it's a good doctor, they're going to ask a, a several more questions to get down to the root of it. If it's a good doctor. Well, and that's what you need to do with yourself. With blue, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a different kind of happy pill. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're asking for those kind, 
then you've got, you know, there, there's an underlying issue there that you probably need to address uh, from a cardiovascular perspective. <laughs> so I make a joke about it, but you know, even that is something that is an early indicator that you know, something something's wrong. Yeah, absolutely. So be honest with yourself and say, you know, this is bothering, that's bothering me. It's not that something's wrong with you. It's just something's bothering you. And you might not know how to fix it, or you might not know how to go about finding a solution. That's fine. Fortunately, there's plenty of resources out there. The main thing is don't give up. Just keep keep one step at a time, show up. And uh, I'm proof that if, if you get the help or if you challenge yourself to not settle for the pain, the stress, uh, there's there's light at the end of the tunnel. There is. And, you, and on the other side of that pain is success you never thought possible or fulfillment as well. Well, and you know, my dad, uh, he used to tell me uh, one of his favorite things, you know, he had a lot of sayings, right? Um, he, my dad was a Korean War veteran. You know, he never talked much oh, wow. about his experience, um, it, not until much, much later in life. But the, right. you know, he always had, it seemed like he had the right thing to say at the right time, the right moment. And that's, you know, when you said your dad mentioned that to you, it really got me thinking about my dad there for a second. But he, like, Patrick, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Right. So Isn't that the truth. I, yep. So when I come back to, you know, so when I start thinking about, all right, the, I've been doing, I did my first wellness presentation for my police department. I think it was in 1998. And, um, and it was because I stumbled across a, cu a couple of books. I've talked about this previously, so I won't go into it, but you know, I became like this nutrition zealot. Um, mm -hmm. I was the guy that was beating everybody over the head. You gotta read this book. Um, <laughs> and so I'll do it with yours too, right? Like you gotta read this book. <laughs> but, um, you know, I was just fortunate, right? I stumbled into it because I, you know, while I was, I was really curious about being fit because I wanted to be, yeah, you, know, you know, well prepared for you know working the street and for uh, making my SWAT team and then and I'm being successful in that environment. I, I've started to learn some things through trial and error, but also through the wisdom of others, right? Which you get in books. Uh, so read right. everybody, pick up a book. You should always Absolutely. have one book on your nightstand. Um, yep. I read uh, Phil Maffetone's book is called In Fitness and Health, the big book of In Fitness and Health. And it was just, you know, he's the first person I ever heard talk about chemical, emotional, and physical stressors. And he's also, this was in the in the 90s. I mean, and He's talk is the guy that trains triathletes for a living and uh, world-class triathletes. And he, it was the first time I'd ever heard of this thing called adrenal stress. Like, well, what is adrenal stress? And uh, as he described it and I read it, I was like, Oh shit. <laughs> yeah. Like I get that like a couple times an hour. I think sometimes at work, depending on the shift, it's like, and uh, it it just really got me curious. So you know when Kevin Gilmartin really hit this hit the hit the scene a few years later, uh, the theory of hypervigilance. You know, I was in the back of my mind. I'm like, okay, the fitness things that I've been experiencing, the nutrition things I've been experiencing. Now these these uh, physiological effects of stress and how that impacts the system, adrenal stress. I'm like. I was very fortunate, I think, to, to connect a lot of dots at an early time and say, you know, I I better be careful, um, you know, and I want to share this. But again, when I come back to what got me down this path is you can you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. And I, I just found that 
some people were very receptive to this information, but a lot, you know, a lot of cops didn't want to hear it. They're like, right. nope, nope, I don't, you know, I don't want anyone telling me what I should be doing, what I should be eating, you know. I, and and so, you know, I, I did a lot of things the wrong way, you know, early in my career trying to convince people why they should, you know, why they should uh, consider their health, look into a holistic approach. Um, but um, I learned a lot along the way, too. I don't know that I ever perfected it, but I didn't stop trying. And, I'm, you know, that's why I'm here today. I'm still I'm still. I'm still trying to uh, tell the story and, and hopefully we can bring as many people along as we can. So that's why I always get excited when I, when I, when I meet people like you that, that get it. And uh, um, you know, that fortunately have experienced some dark places and, and survived to tell about it and now can come back and share their story. So, um, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe let touch on, you know, what, once your dad said that you start kind of recognize, recognizing this, um, you know, where did it go from there? What, you know, what was work like? What were you doing on the job? Uh, let's see, right after dad told me he was losing, I mean, that was 2006. So it was just a year before getting into law enforcement, but I got treatment through neuro-linguistic program or uh, neuro-linguistic programming, NLP. Yeah. Where basically the, I was able to disconnect the emotion from the event and not relive it, which was amazing because you know, we run that risk of our, our, uh, when we think about something, it generates an emotion, which thus can generate an action and results in our life. Well, I'm thinking about this mortar attack that almost killed me over and over and over again. So, so there come the emotions with it. I was, there was never any disconnect. Uh, finally through NLP, there was that disconnect and I was able to see life a lot differently and not just relive in the past the whole time. Uh, so I really took that into law enforcement and if, and even though I said the three damaging words, I am fine a lot uh, when I wasn't fine and things came to a point that, that I realized, Oh shoot, I've got to do something about this. I was a heck of a lot more willing to go seek professional treatment just because of that amazing experience I had the year after getting home from Iraq and being treated for NLP. That's interesting so that, you know, because there's a lot of people today that still don't even know what NLP is. So, I mean, right. it's, it's gained a lot. I mean, there, there's a lot, a lot of advancements have been made in that field and maybe we'll come back and touch on some of those. Uh, I'm really curious about some of the, some of the modern techniques, um, you know, using ketamine and, and certain types of uh, medicinal, you know, mushrooms, nootropics. There, there's a lot of cool stuff that's out there now. Oh yeah, there really is. Uh, there, there really is. And I, I'm not a big fan of the therapy that, just has someone talk about an experience over and over and over again. I'm just, I feel like you're rehearsing it. You're reliving it. That's just me. And I'm, I'm a big fan of NLP, but I've done tapping as well. I've been through that. Um, and, and some modif like it wasn't an official EMDR se uh, session, but it ended up being that. <laughs> uh, so it's, I've, I've been part of different treatments throughout the, uh, throughout my law enforcement career. I went through different things, but NLP was a game changer. It helped me get out of my addiction as well. So I'm a big believer in NLP and I, and I had to pay for it on my own, but it was an investment because the road I was going down was not good. It's, it's better to invest my own money and, and, uh, get better. Yeah. So I'd, if you're waiting for someone else, you know, that's kind of the old saying, even, even like we like to take on that saying when you're on the street, right. You know, 
no mm-hmm. one else is coming, you know, save yourself. Uh, well, that applies to outside of work as well. You know, that applies Absolutely. to things like, you know, if your agency isn't providing you a gym, go find one. If your agency doesn't exactly. have a DAP program, go find one. If your agency doesn't provide a nutrition plan or program, um, go find one. There, and there's a lot yeah. of people out there that love to help um, military and first responders. They'll give discounts, but you got to, you know, but you have to take the initiative to go. If you're waiting for someone to bring it to you and I'm not doing that until someone else does it for me, you know, you're, you know, you're your own worst enemy at that point. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. And it's amazing how, you know, the, the mind likes what it's familiar with. Even if we're doing something that's a, that's bad for us, such as, well, a lot of the common thing can be alcohol, drinking alcohol to help quote with or uh, cope with the stress. And you know you might be in the habit of it, or that worst case scenario, an actual alcoholism addiction, and then you, you know you need to get out of it, but it's just so it's just the the addiction that the habit is so strong, the brain doesn't want to let it go because it's it's just more familiar with it. Uh, so yeah, even if you do reach out for help, you're still going to have that thought, oh my gosh, what what could happen? And, and there's that fear. I'm telling you from experience, but. When you start to see, oh, there's life without this bad habit or there's life without thinking this negative all the time. When you start to see it and you make that leap, oh, it's so worth it every time. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, now that you mentioned that, you know, Jonathan Hickory wrote the forward for your book. I saw that. Yeah, he, he was on your podcast. <laughs> he was. And, yeah. uh, you know, he's also, you know, they, they, there was a movie that was uh, that was made around his story, Break Every Chain, um, starring Dean Cain. Good movie. And, yeah, it was a yeah, great movie. movie. So powerful. Yeah. And, uh, you know, now it's kind of like, all right, you know, when I was chief, one of the, we, uh, on day one, when we swore a new officer in, uh, we ha- we made a big ceremony out of it. It was really, not just for the officer, but we wanted their families to really feel like they were going to be welcome and part of the agency. So, you know, we had a great, you know, we had, you know, all, all of the, all the official fun stuff. And then we did a tour of the agency, but then, we would do a ho- we would host a lunch and we have a local uh, psychologist who is um, Dr. Will Miller and uh, he's going to come on the show at some point but he's also a comedian in like like grew up in in the city New York City he's a Vietnam veteran and oh, wow. uh, he is just a fantastic guy but he's a huge fan of Kevin Gilmartin and Robert Sapolsky and so he he gives an hour long presentation not just to the officers, but to their families about, okay, here's, here's what you can expect. Uh, you know, some of the changes that you should look for. And then, so, you know, you, the, you pre-arm people with the information so they, they can recognize it when they see it, not, not after the fact. And we, we you know, we yeah. give the family a copy of uh, Dr. Gil Martin's book and um, yeah. And it, it's great to see things like that. And I know a lot of people are doing, uh, are doing programs like that, but it really, I think, but but if you didn't have that information, you know, there's kind of it's a trial and error type of of uh, learning process, which is very inefficient. Right. Because in order for the trial and error method to work, you got to recognize that you're actually doing something wrong and you can be knee deep in something. But uh, that was me. That, that was me. Basically, the whole career. Uh, there there were warning signs, but I didn't know there were warning signs. And then, boom, next thing I know, I'm. I'm either battling addiction or several years later, my wife says, I'm thinking about doing this on my own. When, when our one-year-old son at the time is in the backseat of the car, it's just like, gosh, I let it get to this. Like it just, it, it, but then I started researching and learning more about 
uh, mental health and 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 having a thriving mentality and and all this kind of stuff. I was like, gosh, all the warning signs were there. Had someone told me, and that's what I'm saying. Like you're right. If we just get this information out there, but also incorporate it as in regular way of thinking for police, as in officers never object to traffic stop safety training or going to the range. They never object to that. Yeah, they might object because it's on a day off and they had something planned, but overall, they're not going to object to that kind of training. But then all of a sudden we say, well, we're going to teach you how to be aware of internal risks and internal threats so that you don't end up being a suicide statistic or you don't end up going through a mental health illness or just some hard time in life and you you don't have the ability to make it out of it because you you know you're you're settling for it like they there's just apprehension uh and we just need to make it a regular thing and i think we can particularly when we start talking about it more in the police academies just be like you are a human being you're not immune and mental health does not discriminate against anybody but the good thing is if you get hit with it you you can work your way out of it but here's some stuff to proactively do to decrease your chances i, I wish that training was available when i went through yeah absolutely and you know, I've I've presented with uh, uh, Dr. Gil Martin a couple times now. Awesome, um, super humble to be been able to do that. We did a presentation for the IACP Wellness Symposium called "The Blood Doesn't Lie," and it was really about uh, biomarkers. And and at the core of that is insulin resistance. Insulin resistance is really your first indicator that, and and that's for those that haven't heard me talk about this, or maybe this is the first time you've listened. It if your blood glucose levels are over hundred. Um, then you are insulin resistant. And yep. a lot of times, you know, your typical uh, family practitioner is really not going to be too concerned about your, your, your blood glucose until it's hitting 120. Mm-hmm. Um, but by then you're already, you're, you're well down the pathway and you're, so your HbA1c is probably really, really elevated. And, and Dr. Gil Martin in his early days, um, he's since revised his book and he, he does, he's really changed his presentation. He talks a lot about uh, the insulin resistant bear metabolic metabolic health and how that impacts your your psychological health your emotional well-being um yeah so yeah there and um even even at the national fo the the national fop did their first wellness symposium uh not last year year before and we presented that that same program there and it you know it's it's amazing to me because he you know dr Gil martin asked this question like how many people have been trained uh, on their firearms this year, you know, like, you know, more, you know, everyone's raising their hand, of so, course. How, you know, on your EVOC, you're driving. Yeah. Everyone's raising their hand. And then, and then he has, how many people here were trained? There's like 500 people in the room. How many people here were trained on how to prevent having a heart attack? Yeah. And no hands go up. And no, so, yeah, none. um, you know, and all these systems are interconnected. So that that's why it's so important to just to keep talking about. And the reason I bring all this up, right. Is because again, cops, you know, we we do tend to isolate ourselves. We do tend to take that kind of, you know, especially when, you know, I worked nights for, you know, over 10 years, you know, and um, I loved it. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything, but except for the fact that I wish there would have been a way to get better sleep when I was working nights, but, you yeah. know, you see it, you know, you have, you have people that, that, you know, they get into these spirals and, and, you know, you're surrounded by negative people all the time. You're dealing with trauma all the time. Uh, You know, not just your trauma, you're dealing with other people's trauma all day long, all night long, all the time. And that's, you know, there's just no way you can do that all the time and, and, and really kind of be unscathed 
at the back end of that, if if you're really not being, you know, doing what I, I like to call the prehab work, right? You know, you got to put in the work. And cops themselves sometimes don't do, you know, we don't do each other any favors because what what do you do when one of your partners struggling a little bit? You know, it's yeah, especially especially when I was coming up, it's like you didn't talk about your feelings or your emotions. Uh, you know, it was just kind of like, yeah, yeah. Well, well, sucks for him. I guess I'm moving on. You know, you, you just kind of suck up and move on. And and no one's like, Hey dude, like you're really being a dick lately. Like you need to check yourself. Like yeah. you're, you're treating people disrespectfully. You're, you're not communicating well with your partners. What, what's going on? Like, right. We don't, and I, it's gotten a lot better, right? I'm not, you know, and, and we have people that are better educated and understand this uh, more now. Um, but there, I think we still have a long way to go. Oh, a tremendously long way. But I am grateful there is momentum and there really is. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing on that, too, is uh, I yeah, I, I get down this rabbit hole and I just go, go, go. The 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 company that I that I do work with now and they're the main sp- uh, sponsor for our podcast, the performance protocol, they do. You know, they're bringing the executive coaching model to policing. And and I, again, I've talked about this a few times, but here's kind of like uh, like one of the realities that I had, like even and I say this, you know, I was a chief for 10 years and it was about halfway through my tenure when I went through this program where I was forced to work with a with a life coach. And um, I did. I was uncomfortable about doing that. I'm like, I, you know, like, I don't need this. You know, I, I, I mean, <laughs> right. I, I'm good, right? Like, yeah, oh, I'm good. Then, I'm fine. Uh, yeah, it was 20. I've told this story a lot, but it was like, it's worth repeating because it was like 20 minutes into this this call, this session with this coach. And I realized I'm like, okay, you know, this isn't the type of thing where I'm laying on my back and, you know, this guy's trying to dig in and make me feel uncomfortable. It was really just about like, hey, tell me what's going on in your life. You know, what you know, what's happening? You know, well, you know, what are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish? Where are the roadblocks? How you fe- and then boom, and then he starts digging in, and I was just like, man, hours up. And then I had uh, two weeks later, I had another hour session. Two weeks after that, and uh, yeah, so I, I learned a ton. And then it was kind of like, man, I wish I'd have done this twenty five years ago. I wish I could have done this in the academy, at the post academy level, because you know sometimes talking to your peers isn't the right thing to do. Um, but having somebody that understands what you're experiencing, that's been there, that's done that, but that also has specific areas of expertise that, you know, and people just like you that can lead them in a positive direction, or at least give them the information where they can help themselves with. Right. Because, you know, in the end, we've all got to, we all got to carry our own rucks. You know, you can't, you can't carry someone else's for them. You know, you can, for periods of time, you can help them, but, um, so I'm just kind of curious about like, what, what is, did you experience that too? I mean, did you have any partners that were kind of like calling you out or was it just something you kind of were suffering alone with? Suffering alone through the addiction two years into the police career, but then uh, nine years in, I was, I was working as a canine. I had been on the canine unit for about three years at that point. And I mean, things were coming around. I mean, my dog and I were, catching people when all odds were against us. It was amazing. And I just was so eaten up by the job. And then my wife says, basically it's either her or the job. Uh, she had had it. She had absolutely had it. And so a lot of mine was when, when it impacted the people back home, 
for the most part, I did a pretty good job, even when I was down at my worst, showing up with a smile and and treating people professionally and and being able to share empathy or, you know, express empathy with people and stuff like that. So a lot, a lot of what I did was because I wasn't feeling well physically, mentally, or because I was being called out on it uh, by good friends or, I mean, straight up my wife. Uh, but what I noticed was uh, I, I did have those officers from time to time that would reach out to me more times than not. It was because they were going through marital problems and we did talk about it. And then I started to realize it just wasn't me that was struggling. Like this really was happening a lot to other officers, but yeah, some you would, I mean, I remember some, I would say, I really hope you're doing okay. And there's, man, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. Just, and it was kind of like that attitude, like, don't you dare. And I'm thinking, well, I have nothing but good intention for you. Please understand that. Uh, but yeah, it's anyone wanting to bottle it in. Uh, there's really no good point in doing that. Uh, speaking from experience. Uh, but it just goes back to what you said. I think we do have a long way to go, but there is momentum forward. And I think it's happening a lot more where officers are talking a little bit more to each other. Uh, the, the rule of thumb I heard though, that really changed the trajectory in my last few years in the career was if, if you want to meet up and vent, <laughs> vent for five minutes, give yourselves five minutes to vent. And then you absolutely at five minutes have to start talking about something empowering, strengthening, positive, or else you'll just vent for an hour and leave feeling just as bad as when you got there to talk with that officer to vent. So that just start exercising that rule right now. <laughs> I call that the negative energy train. There we uh, go. <laughs> and and I'm sure you relate to this, right? Uh, you know, I and I used to tell this story to young sergeants and, you know, people in my roll calls from from way back would remember this because I mean, I, this is a, this is kind of one of those observations that you kind of like, OK, sometimes correlation does equal causation because, yeah. you, you know, you're sitting in a, in a roll call, you know, maybe you got a basketball game or something on the TV. People are, you know, yakking it up, laughing. Everyone's in a good mood. And then, you know, and then you get down to business and, you know, you might have 15 people in the room, 20, whatever. And it only takes one person. It, you know, you get one person in the room, like everyone in one minute, smiling, happy, joking. And then that one guy, there's always that one guy. Oh, yeah. that's, that's bullshit. You know? Uh, and then it's like, yeah. You know, and then you can just, you can just feel the positivity get sucked out of the room. Right. And so people, you know, you have this group of cops that are getting ready to go hit the streets. One minute they're happy and excited. The next minute they, you know, it's like, all right, it's coming. You know, it's almost like they're bracing themselves mentally for what's about ready to happen when they hit the street, you know, and then they're on their way out to the car. And I like to make this joke, like dispatch hits them up on the radio before they even make it to their car. Like, hey, uh, you know, being route such and such for domestic or whatever. And then it's just like, then the, the the officer gets mad at the dispatcher, you know, like, why are you sending me? I'm not even in my car. And they, they <laughs> jump the dispatcher over the air. And then the dispatcher is like sitting in dispatch, like, what the hell? Like, what did I do? I'm, yeah, you yeah. Know, I'm just doing my job. Right. And then and then what happens in there? The phone rings, ring, ring. 911, police. You know, is that a police problem? <laughs> you know, they, they're getting, because they're of that getting one chippy guy. with the callers. And uh 
you know, next thing you know, because then you're in the sergeant's office and then the phone rings and then it's someone like, wah, 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 wah. you know, I just <laughs> called your dispatch center and your dispatcher was rude. And it's just like, huh. And then and so you could kind of see this. I joke about it. Right. But you could you could just see that energy just, you know, building momentum and, oh, you yeah. know, and it crushes everything in its path. If you're it not does. careful, if you're not careful. And that's why it's like, hey, somebody in those moments has to learn to be an interrupter. Like when you feel that when you feel the party you know, starting to go bad. It's like, hey, let's get it back on track here. Um, because, you know, now the cops, you know, this not gonna be in a great mood when he gets to the call. And of course we know. And yeah, hell, this was before people were shoving video cameras in your face and you had to wear a body camera. And, you know, every every decision you make is second guessed and you know it's going to be second guessed. And yet, you know, no one seems to care that, you know, people can treat cops like all day long and you know all people worry about is you know if a cop has a negative reaction it's so it, it is you know i say all this because you know that's you know that's the environment but there is a way through it right and there's there is a yeah. way to manage it it doesn't have to be that way we're now because now you get in that car and then you're like like you're saying all right five minutes <laughs> let's get it out of our system five minutes but then you gotta have one of you has got to have the you know the ability to say okay let's turn it and uh, what's what's good what's happening yeah and 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 th- and even if there's quote nothing good going on at the jet work talk about something you enjoy doing or talk about a, a team that you like and they won or just mention something that is not negative and and, and uh, is so worth it it's so worth it it's not always easy it really isn't uh, negative is resounding negative resonates. Negative is just what we lean towards. I mean, hence, hence why the news talks about negative stuff. It's just more captivating. But it's just so worth it to be aware of how you're doing, how others are doing, and bring up something positive to break that negative, That like just like you said, the, the negative train or the train of negativity, whatever it was. I mean, that's a good analogy because it just yeah, has a rippling effect. Train. Yeah, it, it has a rippling effect. And it I bring that up. everything and, in its path. It, yeah. Exactly. And I, I, for one, I, I made the mistake of letting the negativity get the best of me. I was, I was a year on at the department where I dreamed of working about for, for years since I was 15. And finally at 24 years old, I'm there at my hometown department. And I, a year later, a little after a year later, I quit. I quit there and went to another department all because I let a group of negative officers negatively influence me. And I made a bad negative decision I go to this small department and I just walk in. And I, I feel like a kid that's gotten off the wrong bus stop. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll be okay, but something's not right here. And and like three months into it, I'm like, I made a horrible mistake all because of that negative energy train. And, and fortunately, the hometown department took me back uh, after chewing me out for an hour and a half on the oral board, to which I fully deserved. But when I came back, I'm not saying I never complained again or wasn't negative, but I really, really, really didn't let the negative crew suck me in again. And and the, the fact is, we are who we are around. And if you're around, I mean, I like my, my one of my favorite motivational speakers is Les Brown. He says, yeah. you hang around losers, you're going to be a loser. It's just, it's the hard truth. Uh, so yeah, be, be careful as to who's around you. And um uh, I made a point to just drive to find officers who would lift me up rather than the ones who would just complain the whole time. Well, I just heard that on ESPN radio this morning uh, with my, uh, 
my son and two of his his friends that I drive to school every morning. They were talking about uh, Nick Saban down in Alabama. You know, and he has got a saying that you know, winners train, losers complain. Yeah, and, very true. Uh, and uh, you know, it's like wow. Yeah, I, I I actually had to turn the radio down and say, hey, did you guys hear what he just said? And they were like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, you should put that on a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the radio back up. yeah, well, that's that's interesting. So you come back, you come back to the agency. What what was it like when you came back? I mean, what was that experience like? So because the negative officers are probably still there, but now you've oh, yeah. left. You've so this is the part where I you know, this is kind of the Tibetan proverb, right, where you you've started your journey up the mountain um and now you've returned so you've seen you've seen what it's like on the other side and you get to bring that perspective back with you you don't just look and assume you know what it's like you've been there you've experienced it now you come back and your perception is and your perceptive is really is changed right oh 100% yeah my first morning back i go to the back of the police department and some officers are like Hey, you're back. That wasn't long. Ha ha ha. And they made fun of me. Which, yeah, yeah I, I, of course I expected that. Yeah, you're I deserved it. I, yeah. I mean, I, I rolled with it, but there was one officer in his car and this officer was particularly negative 150% of the time. He said he, he was having an issue with his laptop and he just looked at me. He said, you should have stayed gone. And prior to, prior to leaving, <laughs> I might've entertained it. And, and, yeah. but when I, I, I just dismissed it. I was like, no, you haven't. It was a breath of fresh air to return back and to really start focusing on the good things that were going on there. Uh, even such things as, well, it is what it is. Like the County where I worked, if, if you caught someone and, and charged them more than likely, you know, the, the DA's office would fight for a conviction. <laughs> uh, they, they wouldn't just dismiss it. Yeah. So it was that kind of thing too. Um, uh, just simple things that I, that I just took for granted. Uh, and then, and then just the ability, there were more opportunities to work in different areas of uh, focusing on like what, what, whether it be warrants or traffic stops, uh, commercial, whatever you wanted to do, there was more opportunities. And I, I just wasn't, I was blinded to that before. I just, I just settled for the opinions of others. It was a horrible mistake. And I, I mean, I told you, <laughs> I'm just one of those that had to learn the hard way the whole time through my career. But at least I did. <laughs> but yeah. it was very refreshing to return. Oh, trust me, you're not alone in that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still learning, right? Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, I, I've I've made a lot of mistakes, and you know, when you're chief, people like to tell you all the mistakes that you've made. So, in uh, you know, every decision you make, you know, you're 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 pleasing half the people, and you're pissing off half the people. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I I figured, you know. If everybody was happy about what I was doing, I was probably doing something wrong. Yeah. Uh, if everybody was pissed off, then I probably needed to make a change. You know, I probably need to to take more time, uh, you know, maybe revisit a decision. But, you know, in the end, right. Uh, but, you know, that's, you know, that's just part of it. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're in policing or anywhere else, right. That's, you just, you got to be able to you got to be able to manage yourself and manage your own emotions. And when you let those surrounding you, you know, pull you down, right. You know, then, then you, that's what I call the doom loop, right. You start getting in the doom loop and it's hard to get out of. It really is. Yeah, it, it really is. You mentioned and, emotion. Yeah. The more I've looked into mental health ever since writing my first book back in 2020, 
I'm really amazed at just how emotions determine so much in our lives. I mean, we, we act out of emotion for the most part and we really have to be aware as to how we're doing emotionally because you can't be pissed off and grateful at the same time, but being pissed off all the time, isn't necessarily going to build you any kind of fulfillment, whereas gratitude will. And that's when I tapped into gratitude, that's what helped that helped me get out of depression. Uh, just that emotion of gratitude. I never thought it'd be possible to do that. When the psychologist told me to start writing things down that were positive, I said, there's no way this works. And I, I mean, I'm even doubting a professional. <laughs> and, and I started doing it. I was like, oh my gosh, uh, I started being uh, uh, more aware of the things I could be grateful for. And that, and that happened as well. When I returned back to the home agency, uh, I was just like, wow, this is amazing. You know, I, I'm more, more grateful. Uh, so yeah, emotions are, are huge. Yeah. And that, uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. We could talk just for hours about that alone. Oh, we could. Yeah, for um, sure. And I, you know, I had some conversations with Mike Malpass about that as well. Right. Because, you know, emotions are also hormonally based, right? Um, you know, the body again is, it is a, it's a sea of, of, of interconnections. Mm-hmm. And when one part is out of balance, uh, you can expect that something else is going to be out of balance. And, you know, when you're young, you can absorb a lot of that, a lot of that, um, your body can take it, 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 but it's not, it's not without a cost though. And that, and that's kind of where, you know, ultimately, you know, in, in, in some of the wellness things and, and initiatives that I did, it really, you know, I, I used to own a CrossFit gym, uh, you know, even training people outside of law enforcement, you know, just, you just really learn a lot about what motivates people, what they're, you know, how they're trying to change. But, you know, this is kind of where, you know, the synergy happens when you recognize it, right? When you start understanding that something's not right, I need to make a change. Um, I need to be grateful that I'm in a position to even be able to make the change. So that's something to feel good about. Um, and now, and now you just kind of manage expectations. Um, you know, what, what tends to derail people when they're trying to make changes is they want it to happen all at once and, yeah. and nothing happens at once. You know, yeah. it, you know, you, you don't dig yourself into these holes, you know, with one scoop of the shovel, um, you know, unless you're driving a, a gigantic backhoe, <laughs> you're, uh, <laughs> right. You yeah, know, sure. it's, it's one small little shovel at a time. And so that's kind of, that, that's, you know, the first the first thing you need to do is stop digging, you know, yeah. uh, stop digging, you know, think about what, you know, what the path is going to be, find the right resources to move forward and then, and then go. So when you it, it reminded me again, I'll go back to the coaching, right? Because uh, I've, I've, I've read a lot about meditation. I had kind of started to experiment with things like that. I, you know, I've been reading the science behind it, you know, and I had a hard time believing too, that th- there can be a, you know, a validated uh, scientific explanation for how meditation can improve brain function, how it can Mm -hmm. improve your physiology. Um, And then, you know, the coach that I was working with, you know, and I've talked about this, I won't go into all this, but, you know, the the big thing I changed the first week with him was my morning routine. I, I, I structured a morning routine, part of that morning routine, literally in this, I've talked about it before, but first thing I do when I wake up, it was no looking at the phone, right? Oh yeah, because that you know is a cheap. You pick up the phone, you're like, what was there? If you didn't wake you up overnight, you know, you're looking at it first thing in the morning, and you might have a plan for your day, what you're going to get done, and then you read that, and now something derails you before you're even literally before you even take your morning, you know, your first morning pee. Right? You're not even out of the bed yet, so it's <laughs> no phone. It was literally get up, 
go do um, some, I would, I would do like 10 and I still do it to this day, stretch and then make a cup of coffee. And then I sit back down in my, it's literally right. You can't see it in the camera, but it's right behind me. My little meditation chair. I do, I use a muse headset. I do anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes. Um, so I drink my coffee, break out my uh, my reading so it's you know, i've been reading the stoics and different things there um read a little bit of that and then my gratitude journal and write mm -hmm. five you know i would write five things down and it didn't have to be complex and he said no if you, if you need to write the same thing down every day until you kind of start getting the hang of it uh you know before you know it you you know when you're six months into this thing and you got a book filled up and you kind of go back and you look and you're like you can start to see the themes um, you know, that you, you, that consciously you're not recognize it, but your subconscious is picking up. And then you come back and look and you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense now. So, all right. Yeah. We're, we're see, we're burning, we're burning through this clock, man. <laughs> we barely, we haven't even touched on the book yet. Yes. So <laughs> let's, let's cover the next part. So you, um, you become a canine officer. Things are going great at work, except at home, the wife's like, yeah. I think I, I think I'd rather do this by myself. And, and that leaves you really kind of in a position where you got to do some, some serious soul searching. Oh, big time, big time. I mean, I, I did what a lot of police officers do. I let that job become who I was. I mean, that was my identity. I mean, I am a canine officer. I didn't say I work at such and such police department and am assigned as a canine officer. <laughs> Heck no, it was, I am. Uh, I am is very powerful uh, when people state I am. Oh, oh, it's very powerful statement. So I encourage officers always be aware of your how you're talking. I mean, if you say I am stressed, well, you're just going to continue to be stressed. I mean, I am is very powerful. So, uh, yeah, I, I had to call a friend who's a pastor and I said, I don't know what to do. I, I said, I'm, I'm either going to have to give this up or or um, or just make it work. Some he said, no, we're, we're he said, you're, you're past that. He said, look, you're. Your job is earthly. Your wife is godly. Put her first. And I did. Was it easy? No. But that's when I, that was a really resonating moment in life where I learned normally the most challenging decisions we make um, are, are like in that case, it was the hardest decision, but it was the right decision. I sank though. I, I did the right thing and, and resigned, but for two years, I battled resentment. I I just didn't feel like there was any kind of future, like a compelling future at all. I was just lost. And I that's when that's when I went back to the NLP doctor and I said, I'm not doing well. I show up with a smile. I'm doing what I can as they, they put me as an SRO after the canine assignment for more of a family, family friendly schedule. I said, I'm showing up for the kids as best I can. I care about them. It's actually been a pretty good assignment, but I'm just lost. And he said, you actually experienced trauma giving up your dog. You can't stop thinking about that dog and thinking about your times on canine, can you? I said, no, I can't. He said, you're living in the past. You're not, li you're not living in the moment and you're not planning for your future. He said, you're living in the past. So we did more NLP to try to disconnect from the negative emotions of resigning. And and then in, in November of 2018, two years after, I'll never forget, I was, I had been waking up early in the morning to do yoga because I was 11 years on the job at this point. And I was sick and tired of being stiff all the time in uniform and working in the schools, you know, it's putting on that uniform Monday through Friday. 
So I said, let me, let me swallow my ego here and start doing power yoga. <laughs> so uh, I was, I was doing that for, for stretching and it was working, but one particular video uh, came up and ad. it was uh, by Dean Graziosi million millionaire success habits was the book he was promoting at the time. I don't, at that point, I didn't read a lot at all. I mean, I had read one book, I think 10 years throughout my career and it was verbal judo. And, and uh, so I, I, I for some Good reason, he, he, his, his marketing was great. I, it hit some pain points. I read this book and I just realized how much I had been thinking wrong about, about things for so many years. Uh, just this limited mindset or uh, settling for language such as I'll be happy when all these different things. And, and, and then understanding the concept of your why, you know, what's the reason you do what you do. If you forget the reason, then you can become very lost in other negative emotions and stuff like that. The book just changed my whole outlook. And I said, I've got to work my way out of this funk. Cause now I'm not only, uh, yeah, I resigned from canine, but I'm not being present to my wife or my son. And heck, she was pregnant with our second son at that point. So it was just like, it's just like, Oh my gosh. And, um, so I, I got the years mixed up, November of 2017. So anyway, um, I just realized we need to start making this knowledge common amongst law enforcement officers because we don't really, we, we work on safety and stuff like that, but how much do we focus on pro professional and personal development to strive to grow, to be a better version of what you were the day before? Like I, I just, I would hear officers tell me, live your life comfortably. Or if you are who you are, that's good. Stay that way. No, no, no. We need to grow as people. That's where fulfillment happens. And I didn't know that until tapping into some of these books. And after I read that one, I read another one and another one and another one. And, and it led into writing my own and, and presenting across the country about this stuff. It's that that was a long winded answer. I understand for, for the story of just resigning from canine. But the thing is, the pain led to me having to take action. And I did because you're never, you're probably not going to do what you should do, but when you do what you have to do and you must do it, then, then things are going to happen when you take that action. And uh, I'm never looking back. I'm not saying challenges won't happen. I'm going through a personal challenge right now, but at least there's that mindset of I'm not going to quit. I'm, I'm going to show up for me so that I can continue to show up for others while dealing with the challenges in life. And, and that, whole and that all started just from uh going through so much pain realizing that i couldn't keep going down this road and it didn't have to either yeah so sometimes you just need a dose right you just need a dose and something to show you that okay there is there is a better way and you know yeah um, you know for me uh i talked about earlier but i i had i read this book and it had a nutrition plan and from the experience that i had with that was the nutrition program that I got on was not the right one for me and it didn't work for me. And mm -hmm. I was having, my results were actually going, I was putting maximum effort in and I was getting really, really bad results and I didn't right. like it. And so I, I stumbled upon a book that gave me a different approach and that worked. And then it just kind of clicked and I was like, Oh, well this, this really makes perfect sense. And that that's kind of what started me down this path. And then, yeah. So yeah, it's a long way of saying like, if I would have had a book like this um, and that someone would have made me read like in, when I was an FTO or, you know, when I was in the recruit program, um, I, I, maybe I could have, I, 
you know, it's not to say that everyone that's going to read it is going to get the same thing out of it. And people are going to, everyone's going to have their own circumstances they're going to run into. But I will say, you know, at, you know, at 56 years of age and, and, you know, being, you know, at, at a point where I'm, I am retired. One of my goals was always like, when I retire, I want to be fit. I want to be able to, I want to be able to go hiking with my kids. I want to be able to do the things that I want to do. And well, I, I got a highlight here, like in the very, in the forward of your book. And I wanted to make a point to to read this because I, you know, 101 health tips for police officers in the introduction. Um, you say more officers died in 2019 by their own hand than in the line of duty. And is that simple? It's simply, and that's simply not acceptable. We have to make sure that officers understand the importance of the little things when it comes to mental and physical health, which is why um, I think what basically which which wrote you know had you read this book and I think that's important to understand because I just saw again a stat the other day in 2015 you know on the back end of the the 21st century policing initiative the Obama administration you know we had the six pillars that came out in the report pillar number six officer safety and wellness. Almost all the resources are yeah you know, were really focused on uh, mental and emo emotional health, and um, and it's needed, right? I'm not saying that's a bad thing. What you know, where I got a little concerned is like, man, we're not talking about the physical health and how the physical health impacts the emotional health. And yeah. I would have liked to have seen it. And I think we're kind of course correcting now, but I would have liked to have you know seen us take a a, a more holistic approach even then. Because since then we've done dumped a ton of resources uh, into emotional emotional well being, and yet again last year suicide was the number one killer of cops. The number of police officers that killed themselves in 2022, 2021, 22 was higher than it was in 2015, 2016. There's so many things in that in that book, 101 Health Tips, that are so easy for someone to do. It can equip you that much better to weather this just threat that's that's real and nobody's immune to it that's the problem i think there's too much denial and you tell officers complacency kills and they think external threats they don't think internally something can happen to them we can't be in denial we can't be in complacency and once you get over those two things and you start taking action like there's so many things that just you can do that are simple things but they just have so much of a compounding effect and that's what i tried to really hammer home in that book was just these are not that difficult. Please don't get overwhelmed by some fitness influencer who's talking to you about v B vitamins and stuff like you don't need to know everything scientific like that all at once, just small steps at a time. And, and it's worth every bit of the effort. Amen. Amen. And so that's, you know, kind of where um, when I when I picked up your book and I was reading it again, like I mentioned earlier, I was like, yep, 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 yep. And I just I'm like, all right, we got to go through some of these. So I'm really curious. Um, we're we're not going to be able to hit all 101 today. Maybe we'll maybe we'll come back and do a part two. But let's right. just focus on you know. We'll let's do some rapid fire stuff, and we'll spend the next 15 minutes and we'll wrap this thing up. But I want to give some people some takeaways and some things that they're going to get from your book, and then you know just some quick suggestions for how they start down this path that, on their own, um, because they might not have help. So the, your number one thing that you put in here, which I thought was interesting, uh, I wouldn't have put it number one, but it probably would have been in my top 10 uh, is intermittent fasting. Yeah, I'm a big fan. I, I used to have higher blood pressure 
and I started fasting and not only did I have more energy during the day, but I noticed my blood pressure numbers going down. Now, I can't speak for everybody, but that right. was, that was helping me. And then I also was one of those that would snack like crazy whenever I was anxious or, or just for that comfort food thing. And I found that the intermittent fasting helped me to instill this level of discipline when it came to looking at food as a way to live, not live to eat. So it, it really helped. Um, and that's why I wrote it first, because at the time when I wrote the books, September of 2020, it came out. Uh, I was about a year into fasting and just wanted to enlighten people on it because I know a lot of more people know about it now. But, uh, yeah, it was just something I didn't feel like a lot of people knew about and just felt, hey, there, there's an option for it as well as uh, it does help, you know, burn fat, lose weight, that kind of thing. So do you get your labs done? Do you get regular uh, lipid uh, panels done? Uh, oh, yeah. Every every six months. Yep. So right there in North Carolina, you know, one of a uh, good friend of mine, Dr. Bill Cromwell, I met him through uh, work that we did with uh, specialty health at Reno, Nevada. And that was kind of part of our Blood Doesn't Lie program. And mm -hmm. I, you know, and this is one of the reasons why we offered the, we, we call it the police panel. We look at seven lines of data, uh, precision health reports. They do it. Specialty health does it. And there are a few other places where you can get it done too. And what I strongly encourage all police officers to do is early in their career, get a lot, get this, get this panel done. If your agency is not going to pay for it, you can get right online. You can go to precision health reports. You can call up you know, hit up specialty health and say, Hey, I want the police panel and have it done. Um, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it, it is offered, uh, through, uh, performance protocol. If your agency is one of those, uh, agencies that's on board with that coaching program, but there's no reason to go get it done yourself because what it's going to tell you is what your insulin levels are, what's your HbA1c, what's your resting blood glucose and their, you know, your APOB, because it's important to have a baseline to know, well, do I have any risk or not? And what are some underlying risks? So when we did this, you know, I didn't make it mandatory. I sure, I certainly wanted everybody to do it. Um, but um, we found a lot of things that people that were undiagnosed and people they didn't know. 60 to 70% of police officers right now, depending on which data you look at, are insulin resistant and they don't know it. Insulin yeah. resistance is, uh, and we won't go into the process, but it is the, the predecessor to, it really, it, it's telling you you've got inflammation in the body. There's a lot of things that contribute to it. One of the best things you can do to control your blood sugar is to fast and to do yep. intermittent fasting or what we call time-restricted eating. Um, yep. Great resource, Dr. Jason Fung, and you know, there's others. There's a lot of great information out there now. So you had great success with it. Number, oh, two, number two, spinach and kale. That's just what everybody wants to hear, right? They'd rather walk <laughs> into the shop uh, grab one of the donuts at one of your favorite, uh, one of your favorite neighbors or, you know, your, your community supporters brought in. Thanks for all your help. I love you. Here's some donuts. We want you to eat some, some old crispy oil, some flour, some sugar. Oh man, but it tastes good, doesn't it? Oh yeah, it sure does. And I mean, Hey, I, <laughs> I am a huge fan of Krispy Kreme, but I make sure it's not a regular thing in my diet. I just put, cause I just, I, I joke in the book about, you know, your, your parents probably, if you had good parents, they'd tell you to get your veggies in. <laughs> um, not, nothing's changed. It's just, we go with my, my thing. It was also not, not a matter of uh, only when it comes to vitamins and minerals and just healthy eating, but we go into 
such adverse conditions in these homes, in, in particularly when you work patrol, and your immune system is exposed to the, just so much, why not build it up with healthy eating rather than all that sugar that's just going to weaken your body, weaken your, you know, build yourself up. So, yeah, that's, that's why I wrote number two. Get your greens. <laughs> so you're going to appreciate this. So this is uh, this has been one of my go-to meals for over 20 years. So if and again, I, I'm not sponsored by Vitamix, and I know there's a bunch of different blenders out there now, but I have a Vitamix blender, and here's what I do. And I've changed it, I've changed it a little bit over time, but you can go you can go to any grocery store, and you can go into the produce section. You can get a, a the packets of the organic. Sometimes they're called Power Greens or whatever, but mixed spinach and kale, sometimes some Swiss chard, some other things that are in there. In your Vitamix, grab some coconut, some coconut milk, uh, the no, you know, the low, the, I usually get the low fat. Uh, it doesn't really matter. It depends on what you're doing, but um, uh, you know, if dairy, if you're good with dairy, whole milk is fine. There's a lot of reasons, but anyway, I do coconut milk, two gigantic handfuls of the spinach and kale, uh, three or four raw Brazil nuts, three or four raw macadamia nuts, a couple of scoops of protein. I cycle. Sometimes I do uh, plant-based uh, plant protein. Sometimes I do whey-based protein. And then right. frozen mixed berries, blueberries, raspberries, um, and you know sometimes it's strawberries, uh, blackberries. There's different combinations you can get. But I, I always buy the frozen ones, organic if I can get them. And then I pour a cup of that in there. And then, you know, really you can throw in some cinnamon. You can throw in some spices. You know, uh, sometimes I'll throw in like a scoop of almond butter to get a little bit of a little bit of fat on it. You throw it in that Vitamixer, you blend it up. You've got a meal that, that's quick and easy to make. You can do it in two to three minutes. And you've got all the vitamins and nutrients that you're that you're that you're gonna need. Oh so, yeah. No, that sounded very wholesome. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> my wife, I, I try to get my wife and kids to do it. They won't do it. They're like, that's disgusting. You don't have any. Oh, forget buds. that. I, <laughs> even if it tastes bad, I know it's doing good for me. I'll, I'll chug it down. <laughs> You're like me. I'm like, if it's good for me, I'll eat it. I don't care. Yep, I'll eat exactly. liver. Because, uh, <laughs> but anyway, it's, it, I think it tastes good. And, and so you can, you can play with the formula, but there you go. Uh, tons of reasons why, why you want to eat spinach and kale vegetables in general. Um, get on it. All right, number three, conquer the department snacks wheel of temptation. Yeah. <laughs> I might have covered that in an object too, you know, with the donuts. Pretty but, much. I mean, the it, it's just, it's not necessarily that something is there every day. Uh, but, I mean, I remember uh, 2016, the tragic night that the five Dallas police officers were ambushed. Yeah. We had so much community outreach. They they would bring us so much food. And don't get me wrong, I was very grateful. But my gosh, all the food was pizzas and spaghetti and and donuts and candy. And and I mean, don't get me wrong, I partook in some of it. But the the ability just to know that you had you can walk away from that stuff and you don't need it. Uh, if if you do struggle with your weight, if you struggle with uh, snacking and stuff. Like, I encourage you to walk into the room where that where the community has brought all the junk food to us, to which, yes, be grateful for it, but you don't have to eat it. 
walk in and then say, I don't need this and walk out. <laughs> it, it gives your brain the sense of, oh, yeah, we don't need it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's too easy to snack. It's too, particularly on long rainy days or nights when there's boredom. It's just, a, it's, we gravitate towards pleasure by instinct and we run away from pain. The pain of the short-term pain of walking away from the snacks is worth it in the long run to create lasting pleasure because you feel better overall. Um, I'm just saying it just, you can get sucked into that easy temptation, but it's not worth it. And for me to say that I was never sucked in, that's a downright lie. <laughs> oh yeah. But, it, but awareness is half the battle. So Mark Kukazella, he's a, he's a doctor. He's in West Virginia. He's an air force doc. He has a clinic there. Um, um, does he's done a lot of different things, but he, he teaches a running program for the Air Force, and he's written a book called Run uh, Run for Your Life. It's mm -hmm. fantastic. But when he was a medical director for a local hospital system, they, you know, he was astonished by some of the things that were in the food that they were serving their patients. So um, they started a, a campaign where they called it the, a sugar-free campaign. So uh, <laughs> with this wellness, he, he works um, with this group that we did a lot of work with and still do. And so we started a campaign called uh, you know our abbreviations for our pd were lpd so it was sugar-free lpd and we put up posters uh how do you how do you think that went over oh yeah i'm, I'm sure it was a train wreck no. <laughs> well everyone you know everyone kind of knows that, like i'm the guy like I, I always look at what people are eating and you know they're always like is he judging me is he judging me and i'm like well only only partly you know yeah, right. and it's not because i'm being critical it's because i care so a lot of research on temptation right so there is only there, and willpower. You only have yep. so much. And yeah. if you everybody knows that there's there's that one person in records, there's that one detective, there's that one administrator. They got a bowl full of candy. Um, there's something there, right? That's in and, yep. and you're walking by. You're every time and you see it every time you walk by. And there's a part of you that has to say no. You have to tell yourself no. I'm not going to do it. But you know, that might be easy if you just came back from breakfast or you just came back from lunch. But now let's just say it's it's two thirty. It's been in the afternoon. You're a detective. It's been a stressful day um, and your cortisol levels are up. So what does that do? That drives your cravings for blood sugar because the brain is a is the most amazing predictive machine on the planet. Yeah. And it's saying, hey, we're going to need more energy. Yeah. Um, every don't pass up that opportunity for food. Don't pass it up. Walk by, grab it. You know, if you've ever, like, I'm fascinated right now. I'm, I'm hooked on History Channel. I've been going back and watching all the seasons of Alone. I don't know if you've watched that show or not. Mm -mm. People get dropped off in the wilderness with 10 items and they got to survive. So really, oh, okay. you know, they got to make decisions like, do I go, because there's no food with them. So do I build a shelter? Do I go hunt? What do I do? And Everything within within the first week, everything is just around food and their brain is so fixed on where is my next meal coming from? Nothing else matters. And it's amazing how the human begins to prioritize based on you know what it needs. And for cops who are facing high levels of hypervigilance, which is driving your cortisol levels up, which is causing insulin spikes. Which, yep. So this is the hormonal cascade that I was talking about. It's telling you eat every chance you get. And you know what? The sweeter, the better, because that's going to be quick energy. And for whatever we don't need, we're going to store for later. So yeah, yeah, that's why cops, you know, work in night shifts that aren't sleeping well, that have high levels of stress, 
are in big, big trouble unless they start to understand some of these mechanisms that are in place and take steps to move forward. So there's my, you, there you, go. No, you hit the nail on the head, three. nail on the head. All right. Next one, stretch yoga, man. So what, 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 what did you get from yoga? I just started to feel better physically. And I really, I felt younger in a way. I started yoga when I was, I mean, I was mid thirties and I, I was just like, man, I don't, you know, the, the gear wasn't kicking my butt as much as it used to so far as wearing it five days a week. I'm not going to get scientific about it. It was just common sense. I stretched more. I felt better physically. I felt mentally better as well because my mind wasn't so focused on, you know, on my back, on my knees, on my whatever, you know, no, I, I, it just felt bad. And as my uh, yoga coach, Sean Veig says, uh, where there's flexibility, there's youth. So I was feeling younger. And I was I was actually amazed that the flexibility and the power yoga was helping my athleticism. And I was what 35, 36, and here I am in better shape than some of the people in the early 20s just coming on. Uh so if 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 someone's like, no, I do CrossFit, I lift weights, I'm not gonna do this power yoga stuff, at least just stretch. Because I mean, we all know that if you're if you're not stretching after working out, there's that lactic acid buildup, and then you're sitting in a patrol car, <laughs> uh which that quote sitting is the new smoking. That's true. It, it's really oh, yeah. accurate. Um, we got to move, we got to stretch and uh, policing already ages you as is because of the experiences. So let's try to do some anti-aging things and stretch. That's my opinion. That's why I wrote about it. And boy, has it been beneficial for me even to this day? Yeah. So, you know, my, my twenties and thirties, I was the uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, chest and tries, Tuesday, Thursday, back and buys Wednesday legs, I ran right. just about every day. I ran a ton. Um, I discovered CrossFit in my late thirties back in, I was, this was back in like 2004 or five timeframe. And, um, and I eventually went and got my cert in 2008, opened my affiliate in 2009. And it was mostly because I needed a place to do it. I, you know, I can't say that I ran it like a great business. You know, we went, we wound up taking on partners years later just because it was taken off and it was so busy and it just couldn't manage okay, it. Good. But, um, uh, all that being said, you know, by the time I'm 40, I can't do an overhead squat, right? I can't, my shoulders just, they, they just won't go there. Why? Because I do bench press and I do, and I ran a lot and I didn't, stretching was not, was not something that I did unless I kind of felt like I had to, like my yeah. stretch was a light jog to kind of warm up. And, and so it took me, uh, it took me a while to realize like, if, and again, it was one of those things, if I could go back, I would, I would have been you know, like at a very, very young age, I would have stretched and mobilized because that's, that's where injury prevention comes from. That's where power comes from speed. You know, it's all part of flexibility and it doesn't have to be yoga. Yoga is a great way to do it. Pilates is a great way to do it. Right. Um, but just like what I do in my morning routine, I've got a, you know, and uh, you know, a couple of references uh, like uh, Dr. Kelly Starrett. Um, you know, his work is amazing. Um, I think he's got a book out called now called move for life. Um, but tons and tons of, of tips in there. He's a, he's a, uh, physical therapist that, that focuses on injury prevention through mobility, flexibility. So, yep. All right. Six is exercise. We kind of just covered that, but why, yeah. you know, yeah. Uh, exercise. Oh man. I could talk about this one for days on end. Oh, we could. 
We could. You know, exercise was the one, one of the top things that has helped me through every challenge in life, just not to give up. When I exercise, it, it rewires the brain and it, it pumps those endorphins and it just, it helped me not only to stay in shape physically, but I noticed that when I would exercise, I would just have that 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 much of ambition I needed just to say, I'm not going to quit on this challenge in life. Uh, but another reason was, honestly, I, I was scared to death working during my career of being that officer who would be in a fight and be the first one to run out of breath between me and the bad guy. And that was an incentive for me as well to stay in shape. I just did not want someone like someone I care about, like my wife, my kids to to learn that well, Scott was killed because he get he gassed out in a fight and the bad guy got got the best of him and stuff like like that was an incentive enough as is on the job. But for emotional health, um, it's it's been a game changer just all throughout the all throughout my life. Uh so yeah, but like you said, we could talk hours about exercising. And the thing is, I a lot of people tell me, uh, officers in particular, I don't have time. I work 12 hour shifts. You don't need an hour, hour and a half to, to exercise. You, you, sometimes I work out in the mornings when I'm in a pinch or a crunch, 15, 20 minutes. It just gets something in there. It's better than nothing. Yeah, those are the same officers like, hey, do you have a credit card? Um, do you pay off your credit card every time? Um, well, and hopefully they do, right? Hopefully they maybe they're right. going through a financial wellness class <laughs> that they do, but it's the same. it's the same principle. Pay now or pay later. You can you can tell Boom. me all you want that you don't have time. And there may be days, absolutely, you don't have time. But exercise is, is about consistency over time. And, yeah. it, you know, intensity is relative to what you're trying to accomplish. But if you don't exercise, you're going to pay for it. That, that And if you read uh, Peter Atiyah's new book out, it's called Outlived. Um, you know, he talks about this a lot. Of everything that you do in life, there is no medication there is nothing anyone can prescribe to you that is going to be more powerful for long-term wellness than exercise. Yeah. I could, so I could, we could throw a sleep right in there, but um, exercise is king. Now I'm going to tell you, so here, here's an, I'll, I'll throw another book up here. This is an older book. Um, this is written by uh, Dr. John Rattay. Um, he's a Harvard, Harvard guy. And one thing I learned about in this book, it, it, so when you well like when you run and exercise, do you ever feel like like the the first five minutes might be the hardest part, but then kind of after you get into a groove and once you like showing up is just getting there is the hardest part. But then once you get moving, you start to feel better. Maybe if you're doing a really hard workout, you know, you question yourself in the moment while you're at it, but there's never a time on the back end in that in those couple hours after exercise where you regret having exercised. You ever had a moment where you're like, oh man, I wish I wouldn't have gone for that that three mile run or that. Oh, of course not. Run. No, no, no. Showing up is always the hardest part. But after every workout, every uh Brazilian jiu-jitsu class I went to, every Krav Maga class, whatever I did that was physically active, of course you're you're now nine round. I used to be a member of nine round for a while. Yeah, every time it, it showing up was the hardest part. And then uh after you leave, it's like so glad I did that. <laughs> So there's a, there is a scientific explanation as to why sometimes you get some of your your most powerful thoughts, your most powerful emotions, you know, in the period of exercise, prolonged exercise, uh, and post-exercise. And it's, uh, there's a, there's a, a hormone called brain derived neurotropic factor. And it's the base chemical, uh, for 
your GABA, your serotonin, your dopamine for, for your, 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 your main uh, brain hormones. And it's, it's good hormones the, and it's produced in the stomach. And mm-hmm. the best way to produce it is through aerobic exercise. So if you're curious about that, read more, you don't even have to understand it. Just know, okay, I just yeah. need to get my heart rate up, try to get it in 60 to 70, 70% of my, my maximum heart rate and try to keep it there for 30 to 40 minutes. doesn't matter what you do. It can be for a, a brisk walk, walk up and down stairs, um, go for a jog, uh, play a sport, do something where you keep that heart rate up. That's the best way to do it. Yeah, All right. Your next up absolutely. was yoga. Since we've already covered that, we're going to go uh, to eight, which is weightlifting which is kind of like all, all of these things are associated. I'll go back to Peter Atia, you know, uh, having, if you want to protect your brain long-term, what's the best thing you can do? Maintain as much lean muscle mass as possible. Why? Because that's how we clear glu- glucose from the bloodstream. It's the most efficient way to clear glucose. That way you can control your insulin levels better. Um, and that's how you protect your brain. Yeah, exactly. And then there's, yeah. <laughs> And then there's the whole strength factor behind it. Work on your uh, physical strength, not only for job performance, but I learned that it helps our uh, our skeletal. I mean, it's, it's, it helps our bones, bone health. And that's that's good because, I mean, you have a lot of weight continuously, shift after shift, uh, week after week, month after month, year after year, wearing that uniform. Like strengthen your body for it so that it does not become some damaging chronic stressor on you. It's It's worth it. Show up. All right. Number nine deep breathing oh this is yeah so big all my, all the times i went through therapy they said you are breathing so shallow i mean sometimes you and then uh just how much a dip a deep breath can slow you down so you can actually collect your thoughts and not work off such hyper negative emotions it's uh, breathing is one of those we could talk for hours about as well but just to be able to re- reset your your nervous system as as much as possible within four, you know, four rounds of box breathing. It's amazing the benefits. Yeah, Mark Devine, you know, he was probably one of the first people that spoke about this in the tactical space, you know, retired SEAL commander, you know, and he talked a lot about box breathing mm-hmm. and, um, you know, the power, the power of that, of the power of breath, really. And there's been a ton of research that's been done, um, yeah, I would go back to some of my earlier episodes. Um, again, Mike Malpass, uh, Dr. Catherine Plua, um, y- Yalise Balbon from Stanford. Uh, yeah, just tons and tons and tons of good. Imp- oh, man. Yeah. All right. And the number 10, we kind of covered it already, but I'll say this. Uh, it was walking. The more I did research about ways to relieve stress and and help your body and your mind, walking was one of them. I said, you've got to be kidding me. But just the ability to move your body, which changes your physiology, which can help put you in a better state to think about how to overcome stress or overcome a challenge or work on a project you need to do, stuff like that, just all by walking. Heck, if you're if you're walking without any distraction, you can actually get into kind of a meditative state. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's something as simple as walking can help. <laughs> That's why people that have dogs live the longest, particularly if they, if they walk their dogs, if they walk their dogs. Yeah. <laughs> now, well, there's dog, a guy I like to, there's a social component there too. 
Oh, absolutely. Well, there's there's a guy I cite in the book, uh, Thomas DeLauer. He's big on YouTube and a really, really fit man. Uh, he talks about walking. I'm like, here's this intense bodybuilder, essentially, and this dude's talking about why he walks. Come on now, people. Let's get over our egos. Start walking. <laughs> Zone two. The zone two, that's where, you know, that's those long, uh, just getting your heart rate up a little bit and keeping it there for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll, I'm going to reference another book that I read recently, um, Michael Easter's book, Do Hard Things. Um, and in that, uh, that's a fantastic book, too. I really encourage people to read it. Um, but rucking is his thing. Um, add a little bit of weight. And, you know, you know a little bit of something about rucking, don't you? Oh, just a little. Yeah. <laughs> Well, as it turns out, you know, the military is has been on to something for a long time. Uh, they might not have it. even known about it. <laughs> nope. Well, you know, it's in this. It, well, and it really is. It's kind of an evolution. There's an evolutionary explanation to it. Right. You, mm -hmm. Human beings for a long time walked and traveled long distances and you carried everything that you owned. Uh, you followed the food sources. And um, so there's, True. you know, our, you know, it's just built into our DNA. So, yeah, grab, you know, grab a weight, throw it on your back or just go walk. All right. Now, I'm going to add one that you probably have in there somewhere that I would probably have put at um, number one or number two, personally. And then we'll close it up. We'll wrap it up from there. And that right. would have been sleep. And we've mentioned we've already kind of talked about sleep a few times, but. I can't remember where sleep is in here. It's you're in close. there. You're close, though. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you did talk a lot about vitamins and stuff, which I think is fantastic. So basically, in short, I'm not even going to go into all the stuff on sleep. We're, um, we've are we covered that before, and we'll, we're going to be covering it again in a future episode. Um, yeah, you've got it right at number 20. I knew it was I knew it was close. So. Um, listen, we could we you know, we're going to have to do this again because we only got through 10 and there's 91 more to go and and, and probably 100 after that <laughs> yeah so um where can where can where can people get a copy of your book and, and both books um you, yeah I'll, another book I'll, too. i've actually written four all of them are on uh, amazon self self-published on amazon and uh yeah i mean they're they're all they're all quick reads but i made them very they're they're, they're not quantity they're quality and and that's what I wanted to get was because you could hand an officer a 400 page book and say, read this manual on health or what. And it's just like, ah, it's just too much. I get right to the chase in every single book. And uh, but they're all on Amazon. All right. Do you have a website or anything? That, uh, do you, you also do speaking engagements, right? So if people are looking to they're looking for a conference speaker or someone that can come out and educate the their their troops on what what your experiences are and what you're doing how would they get a hold of you for that yeah my website is the scottmedlin.com and yes i've i've very much enjoyed going out and speaking but what i find the most uh rewarding is that officers come up to me after the presentation they say i'm glad you brought this up i'm glad you brought that up because it changes their way of thinking like the it, it breaks them out of their comfort zone and and i challenge a traditional way of coping with stuff thinking about stuff that a lot of law enforcement has. Uh, and, and trust me, a lot of it is because of the mistakes I made. I'm not some self-righteous know-it-all. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I just spoke in Kansas two weeks ago. I've got, uh, I'm, I'll be heading to Vegas twice in two months coming up this fall to speak at big conferences. So 
the, it's, it's called the 10 code mindset. And it's, it's, it's really all about stop surviving, stop settling. It's, it's more about human growth and you can overcome a lot more than you thought possible because you're working on you each and every day. Thus you show up that much better for people you care about and the public you swore to protect. And that's, that's really what I harp on. Uh, so the scottmedlin.com. All right. I'm just going to leave it right there because that was a great closing. So the scottmedlin.com. Appreciate that, your spending some of your valuable time with us, dropping some knowledge bombs on us and everybody, they know how to, uh, they know how to get a hold of you now and hopefully uh, they'll reach out and use uh, your books and your information and your story as a springboard to maybe help themselves and help others. So speaking of the 10 code until next episode, I'll be 1042. Thanks everybody. The Coptimizer podcast is powered by Performance Protocol. Performance Protocol brings professional executive coaching to police officers and administrators at all levels of the organization. Performance Protocol has the blueprint that will operationalize organizational optimization. It is purpose-built for today's public safety employees to help them accomplish goals and live better. What is it? One-on-one video-based coaching with officers and leaders who have been in your shoes and know firsthand what it means to live and work in public safety. The program will connect you with certified coaches who combine their years of success in the world of law enforcement with world-class training from the cobble of performance protocol coaches. Get the support, resources, motivation you need to live the life you want. Performance protocol coaches are relatable, knowledgeable, and confidential. Most importantly, they get results. Why should the keys to unlocking our peak performance be reserved for just the boardroom or the playing field? Unleash your full potential today and get started with Performance Protocol. Remember, performance is the goal. Protocol is the path. Log into www.performance-protocol and learn more about how to bring this program to your agency and community.